You're listening to Love and Marriage, a sermon series about finding and staying in love. For more information about Elevate Church, please visit us online at www.elevatechurch.ms. Hey, it is good to see you. How many people are excited to be in God's house today? I'm excited. I'm excited. Starting a brand new series today called Love and Marriage. Look at the person sitting next to you and say we're about to have some fun. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Going to be a lot of fun. Going to be a lot of fun. But a brand new series today called Love and Marriage. And I know that uh, some of y'all remember the old song about love and marriage that said, you know, this I tell you, brother, you can't have one without the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love and marriage. But the truth is, so many marriages really are struggling and so many marriages really are in trouble today. I heard about this guy, uh, his name was Charlie, and old Charlie had been married to Martha for years, and, and every year they would go to the state air show. They'd go to the state air show, and every year old Charlie would say, Martha, I want to ride that there airplane. What they would do is they would sell tickets for, you know, an airplane to take you up in the air and then make a little quick pass and then come and land. And so every year he'd say, he'd say Martha, I sure would love to ride that there airplane. But every year Martha had the same response. She'd say, well, old Charlie, I know that you want to ride that there airplane, but that there airplane costs $10 and 10 dollars as ten dollars and so he never got to ride the airplane this went on for years and years and years and years and years and so finally uh one year uh, old charlie said look martha said, i'm 85 years old if i don't ride that airplane this year i might not get another chance and so martha of course said charlie i know you want to ride that there airplane but ten dollars is ten dollars and so the the pilot happened to overhear the conversation between charlie and martha and so he said folks i'll make you a deal he said i'll take you up in that airplane and i won't charge you a penny you won't have to give me nothing as long as while we're in that airplane you don't say a word and so charlie and martha thought that'd be a great idea they were going to do it so they said okay and so the pilot took them up in the air they did and he did all these tricks he did all these rolls he did all these dives and there wasn't a word from charlie or martha and so the pilot's thinking, man, what in the world? So he tried all his tricks again, did it all again. And so he comes back down, and he lands, and he turns to Charlie, and he said, man, Charlie, I, I did everything I could to try to get you to say something, to say a word, but you didn't, you didn't say anything. And old Charlie looked at the pilot, and he said, well, I was going to say something when Martha fell out the airplane, <laughs> but $10 is $10. <laughs> right? You don't... You don't want a marriage like that for sure, right? But you also don't want a marriage like this. I heard about this lady who was giving a, giving a talk uh, to ladies about marriage. And so she just asked in the audience, she said, how many of y'all out there want to mother your husband? And so nobody raised their hand except for one person on the back row. This one lady on the back row, she raised her hand. And so the speaker was kind of shocked. And she said, wait a minute, let me get this straight. You actually want to mother your husband. And so the lady in the back said, oh, mother, no, no, no way. I thought you said smother. You know, what I'm, uh, that's what she said. You don't want to, you don't want a marriage like that either. But anyway, what, what's crazy is if you study marriage in 1930, 83% of adult Americans were married. 83% in 1930, 83% of adult Americans were married. But today, only 49% of adult Americans are married. Less than half of adult Americans are married, and that number continues to drop every year. See, it's a different culture. And we come from broken homes, and many of us come from 
broken marriages. And so there's a lot of apprehension when it comes to marriage. On uh, August 29, 2011, the Clarion Ledger actually released a, a report or published an article that said Mississippi's divorce rate for men and women are among the highest in the nation, while its marriage rates rank in the bottom half. What that proves is, is that more and more people are getting divorced and less and less people are getting married. Again, in our culture, there's this apprehension when it comes to marriage. But what I want you to know, what I want you to know is that God is a perfect God. God is a good God, and God would never create anything that would harm us. He would never create anything that would harm us. And marriage was not created by nations. It wasn't created by, by lawyers. It wasn't created by, by politicians. It wasn't created by any of those things. Marriage was created by God. In Genesis chapter 1 and in Genesis chapter 2, uh, God has this unbelievable, this wonderful idea, this creation of marriage. Uh, but the only reason that marriage doesn't work today really is because we've rejected the word of God. It's because we reject the Word of God. Uh, statistics say that over 50% of marriages end in divorce. But the truth is, if you do marriage the way God's Word says to do marriage, you have a 100% success rate. You have a 100% success rate. Again, marriage was instituted by God, and God has given us an instruction manual on how to keep this sacred union strong. And it's really called, what's it called? It's called the Bible. It's called, it's called the Bible. Jesus said, look, if you will build your life upon the rock, if you will build your life upon the rock, the word of God, the rain can come down, the floods can come up, but nothing, if you've built your life and your marriage really on the word of God, there is nothing that is going to come your way that's going to cause you to fall. That's what Jesus said, and I promise you, again, if you will build your life and your marriage on the rock of God's word, you have a 100% success rate. So God's plan for marriage is perfect, but it's also simple. It's also simple. And I know some people in here are thinking, simple? Robert, you must not know my husband. Simple. And some people are saying, Robert, you must not know my wife. Maybe I don't, but I do know what God's word says about marriage. And so I want to show you something. I want you to see God's plan for marriage. If you got your Bible, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 today. We're going to look at a couple other passages, but Ephesians chapter 5 is going to be our main passage. Everybody good today? We're going to have fun? All right. Y'all bear with me, okay? Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to try to get you all out of here by 3 o'clock because I know nobody cares about the game, okay? Uh, so Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 21, and here's what the Bible says. It says, submitting to one another. This is God's plan for marriage. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. So let me say something. It says, submitting to who? To one another. The wife is supposed to submit to the husband, and the husband is supposed to submit to the wife. That's how that verse is, is, is written, really. And so what this means is, is that the husband and the wife are both equal in the eyes of God. And some people don't believe that, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove it to you before we keep reading in Ephesians chapter 5. I want you to see this passage in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. He didn't make one better than the other. Watch what the Bible says. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, the Bible says this. It says, God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So male and female are both created in the image and likeness of God. They are equal. 
In fact, there is never a reference in Genesis chapter 1 or Genesis chapter 2 where God creates marriage. There's never a reference in those chapters of Adam being over his wife or his wife being over him. You don't, you don't see that happen until after the fall. After sin enters the world, after the fall, God goes to Eve and he says, Eve, your desire is going to be to rule over your husband, but you know what? He's going to rule over you. So what's going to happen. So whenever the husband and wife, what this shows me is that whenever the husband and wife, whenever Adam and Eve, when they were following God's plan, when they were following God's word, when they were doing what God said, you know what I mean? Things were sweet. Things were awesome. But when the husband and wife tried to put themselves in the place of God, guess what happened? Things went downhill. Things went downhill. Things got Rough. And so I want you to know, though, that that is not the way that God created marriage to be. It's not supposed to be rough. It's not supposed to be terrible. It's not supposed to be bad. Uh, in my home, though, I, I'm not the boss. In my home, I'm not the boss. Uh, in my home, Amanda's not the boss. You know who the boss is? And don't say the kids. I know some people are thinking that. But it's not them. In my home, the boss is Jesus Christ. So actually, her and I submit to Jesus Christ. And as we do that, we submit to one another. Now, I say that because some people try to use Ephesians chapter 5 to kind of to really uh, 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 put women down or to put women under the bondage of submission instead of being put under, this, under the blessing of submission. So I want you to see this again. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 21. Here's what the Bible says. It says, Submitting to one another in the fear of God, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his own flesh, and of his own bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Again, I want you to understand that this, this passage right here, is God's plan for marriage. And this is actually the most detailed passage in all of God's word when it comes to what marriage is supposed to be. This, this is the most detailed passage. In Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, we can see marriage being created by God. In the entire Bible, we can see several marriages, but this is the most detailed passage about what marriage should look like. The Apostle Paul says, hey, you want to see what marriage looks like? This is what a godly marriage looks like. But you know what? Christians don't like this passage. They don't. See, I've been in ministry for nearly 18 years now. I've done pre-marriage counseling. I've done uh, marriage counseling. And usually when you refer to this passage of Scripture, when you start reading this passage of Scripture, nobody there enjoys it. Nobody there enjoys it. So keep in mind, this is a very unliked passage. Why? Why don't people like it? 
because we like what it says about our spouse, but we don't like what it says about us. We like what it says about them. We don't like what it says about us. See, every, every woman, every woman says, I want a husband who loves me. I want a husband who cherishes me. I want a husband who will nourish me and is willing to lay down his life the same way Christ laid down his life for the church. That is every woman's dream. And every man, man, they, dreams of a, they dream of a submissive wife. If, if any man knows any passage in the Bible, it's this one, right? They say, well, I know somewhere in the Bible it says that women are supposed to submit to the men. You know what I'm saying? People don't even know where it says it, but they know the Bible says that. I actually got asked to perform a wedding ceremony one time, and the man wanted me to make sure I put that verse in the Bible. I said, whoa, man, y'all ain't going to stay married, but, but, but I, so I didn't do it. But actually, I, you know, I used to be even more of an idiot, you know, back in the day than I am today. And I remember, you know, when we, me and Amanda first got married, I'd say, woman, you're supposed to submit to me. And that was the closest thing to a near-death experience I've ever had. <laughs> Saw like the bright light and everything, man. It, it, was, it was crazy. It was crazy. But seriously, we, <laughs> we love what this passage says about our spouse. Love what it says about our spouse. We just don't like what it says about us. And something else that's interesting about this passage is that we don't want to be the first person to do what this passage tells us to do. <laughs> we don't. See, we use our spouse's behavior as a reason to excuse why we don't do what God's word tells us to do. <laughs> it's true. Women will say, well, I'd submit, I'd submit to him unto the Lord if he acted anything like Jesus Christ, but he acts more like the devil. And so I'm on a mission from God to keep him humble. I'm just not going to do it. That's what some women say. And some, some men, they would say, man, well, you know, I, I, if I show her any weakness at all, man, I'm going to be up doing housework all the time while she's in the bathtub with those aromatherapy bath bombs, sipping that wine. You know what I mean? I got to be strong. That's what men actually think. Again, we use their behavior as a reason to excuse our own behavior. But again, I want you to know that that's not how it works. That's not God's plan for marriage. If you will do what the Bible says that you should do as a husband and as a wife, you will have a successful and wonderful marriage. I've been married almost 16 years, and my wife has never once thought about divorcing me. Murder, maybe. <laughs> Not divorce. Not divorce. So, so again, uh, what I want to do for the rest of the time we got together is I want to talk about God's plan for marriage. I want you to see why God's plan for marriage works. If you're keeping notes, you want to write these down. I'm going to try to move pretty quick because I could really be here for a long time, but I know y'all are wanting to get home. So uh, not really, but here we go. Uh, here's what the first thing, God's plan for marriage. Here's what God's plan for marriage really does. I want you to understand that God's plan for marriage makes us more attractive to our spouses. God's plan for our marriage, it makes us more attractive to our spouse. I promise you, if you do what Ephesians chapter 5 tells you to do, you will be more attractive to your spouse. If you are single, if you will do what Ephesians chapter 5 tells you to do, you will be more attractive to the opposite sex. Let's talk about it. See, the number one need of a man is, guess what? Respect. Some of y'all was thinking something else. <laughs> Respect. Get your mind out the gutter. We'll talk about that later. Anyway, it's respect. That's our number one need. It's our mega need. We, we need to be respected. And, man, we're very sensitive when it comes to our ego. A lot of men won't tell you that, but, but they are. They're very sensitive when it comes to their 
ego. We don't like it when our wives disrespect us in front of other people. We don't, we, we don't, we don't like it when they roll our eyes at us. We don't like it when our wives tell us, I told you so. We, we, we don't like it when our wives make us feel like idiots. We already know we're idiots. We already know that. I know y'all seen those pictures on the internet, you know, it's like why, men, why women live longer than men. Y'all ever seen those? We've got a couple of them here for you. Want to check them out? That guy's changing up. Well, I don't know what he's doing, but he is going to die. That guy is an idiot. Check out this next one right here. That is not OSHA approved. I promise you. Somebody is getting fine. Look at that guy working. He's going to die, man. I, only, I, I hate looking at the picture. I think he's about to fall right there, right? We already know, though, that we are idiots. And women, you need to know that a disrespectful tone, a disrespectful word, a disrespectful look, it's like a punch in our stomach. It hurts. And some women just don't understand that. But honor and respect are a man's number one need. We gravitate towards places where we are honored and respected. We, we will avoid places where we feel disrespected. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter is actually talking to ladies, and he's trying to tell ladies, you know what I mean? When your husband's not doing right or when your husband is, is doing wrong, this is what you should do. And I know that nobody in this, none of the ladies in this room, your husband ever does wrong or anything like that. This is just for other people that you can refer them to. But I want you to see, I want you to see what, what he says. Again, 1 Peter chapter 3, I'm going to start in verse 1. It says, wives, in the same way, submit. Again, husbands and wives, we both submit. In the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. So that if any of them do not believe the word, if they're doing wrong, they're not doing right, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold, jewelry, and fine clothes, Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. All the ladies in the room, let me hear you say gentle and quiet. I thought y'all was going to be quiet, man. I ain't saying that, but gentle and quiet. What is it? The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Man, don't forget that. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. So Peter again is saying, look, ladies, if your husband is being disobedient to God, if your husband is not doing right, you can change your husband without saying anything. Without using any words. But Robert, are you saying I can't talk to my husband? No, I'm not saying that at all. You guys are equal. You can say whatever you want. You can say, honey, I don't like it when you do this. Uh, would you please not do that anymore? You can say, honey, I want you to come home more. Honey, I want you to spend more time with the kids. You can say anything that you want. But the question you have to ask yourself is who is the enforcer? Is it you or the Holy Spirit? Because anytime you try to enforce something and don't let the Holy Spirit do that, you're going to dishonor your husband and you're going to cause problems. Things are going to get messed up. So, ladies, if your husband is doing wrong, what you should do is you should go to him and say, Honey, you're so handsome. You're so buff. You're so strong. Even if you're lying, God will forgive you. Just <laughs> say it. 
Just respect him. You go to him and say, I love you. But then you go and you get in your prayer closet. And you say, Jesus, you get him. Jesus, you change him. You're sweet in person and violent in prayer. Don't be the other way around. Don't be a violent person and sweet in prayer. You be sweet in person and violent in prayer. That passage in 1 Peter chapter 3 says that a gentle and quiet spirit is precious in the sight of God. It's of great worth to God. And this is another scripture that people don't like, women especially. Because I know some women's like, well, you just don't know me. I'm a strong woman. Anybody know somebody? I'm a strong, I'm not gentle and I'm, I'm not quiet. I'm loud and rough. Listen, ladies, the opposite, the opposite of strong is not rough and loud. It's not. The opposite of, of, the opposite of gentle and quiet is rough and loud. Rough and loud does not mean that you are strong. And so a gentle and quiet uh, in spirit woman has faith that God can change her husband. She understands, I don't have to be mean. I don't have to be rude. I don't have to be loud. I don't have to disrespect my husband. Honey, I love you, and I'm going to let God change you. So you say, I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like what he's doing. And he rolls his eyes at you. What do you do? You respect him. Again, this is a promise from the Bible that if we'll do these things, we don't have to say anything. You don't have to say anything, and, and, and it will change his behavior. And here's the thing. As you're respecting him, you'll become more attractive to him. You really will. Listen, respect is so important to men that we will change our behavior for the people who are giving us respect. Men are dumb. We will slide down a mountain of razors into a lake of lemon juice just to hear somebody say, you're the man! We love respect. So listen, ladies, without a word, you can change your husband as he observes your pure, respectful behavior. I'm talking about attractiveness. The Bible says don't just doll yourself up with jewelry and fine clothes. Should you do that? Yeah. But don't just do that. A gentle and quiet spirit is beautiful in the sight of God. It's also beautiful to your man. Now let me move on and talk about the men because it's pretty quiet in this Presbyterian church. I was like, oh, he better be getting on the men. I know. All right, here we go. Men, do you know what the number one need of a woman is? Security. Security. See, we're different. Yes, men and women are equal. But we are different. Security means that she knows she's going to be taken care of by a caring, sensitive, sacrificial man. A woman wants to know that she is first. She wants to know that you will crawl through 10 miles of broken glass just to make sure she's taken care of. She wants to know that. She wants to know that you will take care of her before you'll even take care of your Self, she wants to never have to ask you twice, and she doesn't want to beg you. She doesn't want to, she don't want to do that. She, she doesn't want to do that because she wants to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that she has your 
heart. Romance to a woman means that you think about her when you don't have to. It's not the flowers or the cards or the gifts, the money that you spend on her. Can you do that? Absolutely. But she just wants to know again that she has your heart. It's a very attractive quality to her and it makes her feel secure. Men, when your wife feels secure, again, she'll, she'll be more attractive to you. And so that's why Ephesians chapter 5, when it says, women, treat your husbands like who? Like Jesus. Respect him like you would. Jesus, it doesn't say treat your husband the way that you saw your mother treat your dad. And it doesn't say, hey, treat your husband the way that you see them doing it on television. It says, respect your husband just like you would Jesus. Then it comes to the men, and it says, men, sacrificially love your wife. You give up your life for that woman just the same way that Jesus Christ did for the church. That makes you more attractive to her. They've actually done research to prove this. Except they've done numerous studies where they have asked women, they've asked women, they've asked wives, when do you find your husband most attractive? And do you know what they always say? They always say, when he's doing housework. I'm not making this up. I've I've been on the internet all week. When he's doing housework. Why? Because he's pitching in. He's being sacrificial. He's helping out. So, Research wanted to study the effect of men's sweat on women. I'm not making this up, man. The University of Pennsylvania, the University of California, several other, several other cal- uh, universities, what they have done is they've wired women up to those, whatever you call them, you know, where they're able to measure their pulse and, and able to see what's happening to their, their body. And then what they did was researchers took men's sweat and they put them on the upper lip of a woman. And I know some of you are like, oh, well, they didn't tell them it was men's sweat. Okay, they told them they were testing a household product. And some of y'all are still like, sweat? But look, if you wear mascara, you know what you're wiping on your eyes? Bat poo. That's what that is, man. So sweat shouldn't be anything to you. But they took male sweat, they applied it to the upper lip of ladies, and then they started measuring what was happening to their body. They started researching. You know what they found out? That when a woman is under the effect of, a man, of man's sweat, of men's sweat, that she's more relaxed, she's happier, and she feels more romantic. Men, let's review that. Man. So, they asked women, when do you find your husband to be most attractive? And the answer is, when he's doing housework. Then they measured men's sweat, the effect of men's sweat, on a woman, and they found out that when she's under the effects of men's sweat, that she feels more relaxed, you know, she feels happier, and she feels more romantic. Man, please listen to me, men. I'm trying to help you out. Some of y'all are just a clean house away from the night of your dreams. I'm trying to help y'all. Some of the men going to go home after church today and do this right here. That's what y'all going to do. I'm not trying to be silly. I'm trying to help you. For real. That's what y'all going to do. You need to go home, clean the house, sweat, walk by her, let her smell you, and then go clean the house some more. That's what you need to do. Listen to me. 
It's amazing, and it's the truth, though. The roles, the roles that are listed in Ephesians chapter 5, they make us more attractive to our spouse. It's like God knew something, right? See, a woman will never open her, her heart up to a man who makes her feel insecure. And a man will never open his heart up to a woman who is disrespectful to him. Intimacy means inner closeness. Inner closeness. To be intimate, you have to be able to trust one another. Our hearts are sensitive, and they don't like to let people into our life that are going to hurt us. And if they've hurt us in the past, it's hard for us to let them back in. It's just crazy. When, when, but when you do what God tells you to do, you're more attractive to your spouse. Anybody mad at me for preaching the Word of God? No. Some people are mad, I guess. Anyway, God's plan for the marriage. I'm going to be looking for a new job next week. All right. Makes us attractive to our spouse. Next thing that I want you to see here now is it make us uh, attractive to our spouse, but it releases the potential in our spouse. It releases the potential in our spouse. See, God created everything in chapter 1 of Genesis, and after he had created everything, what did he say? He said, it is good. It is good. That's, that's what the Bible says. But then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it's interesting that something happens. Here's what the Bible says. It says, then the Lord God said... It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Listen to me. If Adam could have reached his full potential without Eve, God never would have created Eve. But he couldn't. And this proves that we need each other. Proves that we need each other. And so the roles in Ephesians chapter 5, they release the potential in our Spouse, listen to this research. It says, is it good for a man to be alone? Is it good for a man to be alone? Did you know that a 48-year-old married man has a 90% chance of reaching the age of 65? A 90% chance. A man who's 48 years old who is married has a 90% chance of reaching the age of 65. However, a 48-year-old single man only has a 60% chance of reaching the age of 65. Men are so much better off when women are in their lives. And it's the same thing for, it's the same thing for women. I mean, who else is going to open those jars that y'all can't seem to open? But let me show you why this is true according to Ephesians chapter 5. It says about men in verse 29 of Ephesians chapter 5. Check out what it says. It says, nourish and cherish your wife just as the, the Lord does the church. Nourish and cherish. Those are agricultural words. That's what, that's what they, they are. Nourish means to feed until maturity. Cherish means to keep warm. It means that as you are growing something, you are protecting it from anything that would harm it. Men are supposed to be something like a greenhouse. So a husband's role in a marriage is to release the full potential of his wife, to bring her to her full potential. See, so many so many men think marriage is all about them, really. That they're Mr. Wonderful and that their wife should just serve them and take care of all of his needs and do it with a, a, a happy heart and a grateful attitude. That's what they, they think. But again, men and women are equal in God's eyes. And what's sad is that there are so many men, so many men who are mistreating the most precious gift that they've ever been given. It's sad that there are so many men who are mistreating the most precious gift that God has given them. They are mistreating a daughter of God. 
And one day, every man will stand before God, and Jesus is going to say something like this. Hey, I formed your wife and her mother's womb. I knit her together to become something great. Did you partner with me in making that become a reality? Or did you hinder it from happening? I don't know about you, but I want my wife to figure out exactly why God formed her in the womb. And that means if I don't get mine, I want her to get hers. I want her to be taken care of before I am taken care of. And a godly husband exalts his wife. He nourishes her. He cherishes her. And he gives her everything she needs. He protects her. He gives her security. We create, again, an environment in which, again, she can reach her full potential and become all that God wants her to become. And I promise you that when women, women, they become who they were meant to be in an environment of security. But again, men and women were different, right? Men and women are different. We're equal, but we're different. Men are to love their wives, and wives are to respect their husbands. It's interesting if you go back and you look at Proverbs chapter 31. In Proverbs chapter 31, you can read about a noteworthy wife, an excellent wife. You can read about that. And in that passage, it says that her husband is an elder at the city gate. But what's interesting is it doesn't credit him for him becoming an elder. It's not like he did something to get there. It credits her. How does it happen? How does he become an elder at the city gate, respected in the city? How does that happen? It happens because she treats him like an elder at home. She respects him at home, and men become in that environment. Women become when they are uh, in an atmosphere of security, and men become in an atmosphere of respect. Men, if you will treat her better than you deserve, if you will treat her better than, if we treat, if we treat her better than we really deserve, man, I'm telling you, if we'll treat her as if she's the most important thing in our life, unbelievable things will happen in our marriage. Remember in 1 Peter chapter 3, though, where it says, Sarah called Abraham, what's she call him? Lord. She called him Lord. She respected him. And what's interesting is that I know some people who would say, well, I would treat my husband, I'd call my husband Lord if, if, if he acted more like Abraham. But have you ever studied the life of Abraham? Abraham was a messed up individual. Man, he really was twice on two different occasions because Abraham feared because he had fear and he struggled with lying he introduces his wife as his sister he says man these kings there's these two kings that are coming two different times kings are coming and he thinks man my wife is so pretty they're going to try to kill me they're going to try to kill me and take her to be their wife and so he says that's not my wife that's that's my sister ladies how many of y'all would like it if your husband introduced you that way that's my sister what that's nasty it's nasty. But that's what he does. And what's crazy is on both occasions, those kings take Sarah into their homes with the intention of making her their wife. It's wild. See, Abraham was an imperfect man, had plenty of problems. But in spite of all of that, Sarah called him Lord. She, she respected him. She respected him. She called him Lord. Now, I've told Amanda numerous times, it's a different time. It's a different culture. You don't have to call me Lord. I'm fine with oh great one. <laughs> Something like that. Whatever you want to call me. Go with that. I'm just kidding. But listen to me truthfully. Men become who God created them to become in an atmosphere of respect. 
And a good wife is a good cheerleader. Men are supposed to be greenhouses. Women, wives are supposed to be, wives are supposed to be cheerleaders. See, I don't know if you know this or not, but men love cheerleaders. They do for several reasons. Let me give you two of them. Two reasons. Number one, because cheerleaders are always positive. You ever been to a football game? What are that? It's always smiling. Always smiling. Another reason why men like cheerleaders is because cheerleaders know how to say negative things in a positive way. They do. Again, you ever been to a football game and the home team is getting crushed? I mean, there's no returning from this. This is just terrible. And what are those cheerleaders on the, other, on the sideline doing? Defense. You can do it. Push them back. Push them back. Way back. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? Cheerleaders aren't on the sideline going, man, what is y'all's problem out there? You bunch of sissies. My grandparents could tackle better than y'all. They don't do that. Cheerleaders don't do that. And, and wives, you shouldn't do that to your husband either. You shouldn't. Again, it's just amazing that the Bible tells us how to have a great marriage. It's in black and white. In an environment where a husband sacrificially loves and nourishes and cherishes his wife, she will become all that God created her to be. And when a woman respects her husband the way that she would Jesus, that's how he becomes all that God wants him to become. I'm telling you, a Christian marriage is a win-win. There are no victims in a Christian marriage. So let me give you the third thing. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to hurry. Uh, but the roles in Ephesians chapter 5, they cause us to meet our spouse's needs. The roles in Ephesians 5 cause us to meet our spouse's needs. You know what the biggest problem in a marriage is? It's unmet needs. Unmet needs. See, if you have a successful marriage, it's because needs are being met. Not just the two needs that we looked at. I mean, those were just the number one need of men and the number one need of women. Men, if you want to write this down, I'm going to give you women's four most important needs. Some of y'all need to make sure you're writing it. Number one for a woman is security. Number two is soft, non-sexual affection. That's hard for men to understand because we think in sexual terms. But a woman just wants to be held. She doesn't want every time you touch her for that to be something that's supposed to lead to sex. But her third biggest need is open and honest communication. Men, women don't talk just for information. They talk because they want to connect with you. They want to connect with you. And women don't just want a bunch of facts. They want your feelings because they feel like y'all connect when you do that. You say, I don't have any feelings. Yes, you do. You better get in touch with them. The fourth biggest need of a woman is leadership. Leadership. She wants to be treated like an equal, but she wants the man to take the initiative of leading the home the way Christ tells him to. Men are different, though. Men are different. What's our number one need? It's respect. Our number two need is sex. Number three, we need friendship with our wife. Wives, you need to hear that. He doesn't need you to be his mother. He had a mother. He wants you to be his friend. And he wants you to be his friend before you are anything else. He wants you to be his friend before you are a mother. He wants you to be his friend. He does. That's our third biggest need. And the fourth biggest need for men is that we want domestic support. And that doesn't mean that the woman does all the housework. That's not what that's saying. It just means that we want to be domestically supported. We want our wives to make our houses a home 
We want her to care about the home. Those are the four biggest needs of men and women. And listen to me, I'm wrapping up. But the greatest marriage, the greatest marriage is two servants. Marriage between two servants. The worst marriage is the marriage between two selfish people. See, usually when I'm doing counseling for a married couple, they've been telling each other what their needs are for years, for years and years. And the problem is the man will hear what his wife needs and he thinks, I don't need that. That might be what she needs, but that's not what I need. And the man will tell the wife what he needs. And the wife will think, I don't need that. I mean, he may need that, but I don't need that. And so it's wild that we just turn off serving one another. Think about it like this. When you go out to eat and you have a server come over to you, And you tell them what you want. Do you want to have to convince that server that that's actually what you want? Or do you want them to actually go and get what you've told them? You want them to go and get what you have told them. That's what a servant does. In marriage, we somehow think that if I don't need it, you don't need it. But again, we're different. We are different. And so when a man says to his wife, honey, you're it. You, you are it. There's nothing that is going to come before you. When you, you say what you want me to do, and I'll do it. When, she, when you say that to her, and then she says, okay, I want you to talk to me. I want you to hold me. I want you to come home more. I want you to be there for the kids. She's telling you what she needs. And men, my husband says, Honey, I want you to talk nice to me. And I want sex. Men aren't complicated. That's really it. I'm just telling you, though. When we do what Ephesians chapter 5 says, when we do it, we have an unbelievable marriage. But when we're not doing Ephesians 5, you know why we're not? It's because we're allowing that sin nature to dominate. See, listen to me. God is an unbelievable God. He would never give us something that would harm us, ever. And in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, he, he created marriage and he gave us marriage to bless us. And it works. But it only works God's way. It only works God's way. Ephesians chapter 5 is God's way. And maybe you're here today and you got a great marriage and you've listened and you feel like you got a little bit out of the message. Hey, I'm I'm glad. But here's what I know. I know there are marriages in this room that are struggling. I know there are marriages here that are in trouble. I know that there are marriages here that are hurting. And what I'm trying to do 
is explain to you how maybe things got off track. And so what I would encourage you to do is I would encourage the men to go first. I'd encourage the men to go first. You be the leader. So many times we fear going first because we think if we go first and act right, it's going to make us look weak. But if you're a husband and you realize, you know what, I haven't been doing right. I haven't been doing right. You go and you apologize and you say, I'm sorry. But you don't just say you're sorry. You change. Because sorry doesn't cut it. You change. The best marriage is two servants. The worst marriage is two selfish people. What type of marriage are you going to have? Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed. You might be here today and you're single. You think, man, what in the world has this message got to do with me? You need to know we start off selfish. Again, we're born with a sinful nature. We're bent towards self. And if we don't change, if we don't change, if we don't allow God to change us and to mold us into a new person, and if we don't have a right relationship with God, no other relationship that we have is going to be right. So maybe you're here today and you recognize, you know what, I'm selfish. I've been selfish. And I need to repent of that. I need to give God my heart. I need to give God my life. I need to, I need to be saved. I need to be set free. If you're here today and you know that that's what you need to do, I'm going to ask that you just pray this prayer. Father, forgive me for my selfish ways. Forgive me of my sin. I confess you as Lord today. I confess you as Savior. And I pray that when I leave this place, people will know that I'm different. That they'll know that I'm living for you, that I am your child, because I've crucified self. Again, we're continuing to pray. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. But if you pray to receive Christ today, I'm going to ask that right where you are, you just, you just raise your hand. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Four people today. Thank you, Lord. We want to continue to pray, though, but I, I just know that there are some hurting marriages as well. We come to church, and we try to act like everything's great. We try to act like everything's perfect, but it's not. And so if that's you, you feel like there's something going on, I'm going to ask it right where you are, that you just ask God to forgive you for whatever you did to make your relationship what it is right now to forgive you for your role in helping your marriage not be what it's supposed to be. But then I'm going to ask that you ask God to change you, to empower you to do what Ephesians chapter 5 says. Because again, you recognize marriage is a blessing from God. It's a blessing from God. Father, thank you.
for the gift of marriage. I pray in Christ's name.